podcast i'd like to welcome mike how you doing mike doing good jason thank you we finally linked up you know uh had tons of scheduling conflicts with my schedule and uh mike is now joining me talk about his book the protected talk about his long career in the central intelligence agency and pretty much anything just like the protectors ah, sounds good jason you know with a with a book named the protected and the podcast the protectors i think it was a match made in heaven yeah, exactly. And that's what I like about this format is we can talk about anything that has to do with the protectors and having a book called The Protected is perfect. Uh, absolutely. Look forward to it. And again, thanks again. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Hey, so you wrote a book, but in order to write a book, you have to have some sort of experience. So let's backtrack. How did you get involved with the agency? Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, we'll start out with the hard questions first. Uh you know, somebody asked me, you know, pretty close about the time I was getting done finishing the book, how long it took to write the book. And it was a, kind of a slight pause. And I said, you know, probably 35 years. Um, it just it takes that long to write something like this and all the material that goes with it. But my agency time started around 1996. Um, and prior to that, I was in the Air Force, Security Forces for 10 years. Uh, spent most of my time in Europe. Um, various different roles and kind of what I've done throughout most of my career is I have worn many hats. Um, I don't know if I have professional ADD, but about every two or three years I get bored and uh, decided to move into something different. But uh, the agency started back in 96 and almost immediately went into uh, the protected uh, staff with the CIA director. And probably most of that was because of my time in the Air Force, to be honest. Uh, definitely set me up with a foundation uh, with a protected background and uh, ironically at that time the deputy director of the cia was a four-star air force general and our chief of staff recognized that pretty quick of my former air force background and and uh, assigned me to to him if you will so that's how i started i spent about six years on a protective detail for the director and um, wore a couple of hats during that time with some overseas security uh, work that we do sometimes and then I spent a couple of years in another branch, if you will, before I left. Now, did you have PSD or uh, protective service detail when you were in the Air Force? I did under OSI. Uh, at the time, if you go back to Germany, so my time in Germany was uh, kind of an interesting time. Uh, and actually, even this podcast has kind of reminded me of it because uh, 31 days ago, excuse me, 31 years ago, uh, yesterday, August the 28th, 1988, was the Flutog air show disaster that happened at Ramstein Air Base and um, happened to be uh, an event that I was there for in a counterterrorism role. Uh, but that day it was all hands on deck because of the crash that um, killed 70 plus people and injured hundreds. Um, but my time at Ramstein during those six years was kind of prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, events like the Harehausen assassination and other interesting events. Um, at the time I was a, became a trained security driver. Jason was my first role. 
my middle 20s and assigned to a protected detail, PSD, for the Air Force and for this general. Uh, so that's where it all started. Absolutely. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, everybody has some sort of protective service detail that protects their primary, which could be like, most of the time as a general or, you know, a senior general, not just like a one star. Sure. And, uh, I've seen a lot of people transition from that into other protective service roles, i.e. the agency. And I think that's a great transition for the veterans out there. It really is. It's kind of a natural one for them, to be honest. Um, as I'm sitting here just thinking, I can think of probably six to 10 off the top of my head that did exactly that. Uh, OSI, uh, the PSO, the Protective Service Operation there, those guys have done a really good job of transitioning to a lot of uh, um, high profile individuals, maybe more corporate executive type programs. I can think of a few right now. Uh, Army PSD has done the same thing. And we worked side by side with those guys when I was in the Air Force and with uh, and at the CIA as well. Uh, we're all kind of cut from the same cloth, come from the same background, and probably that's why the transitions are easier. And the guys in the private sector will look for those individuals, uh, the men and women who've started on those details, because it's just an easier transition. We're all playing from the same sheet of music. And, um, yeah, works out well. Well, it's also great for the follow-on, you know. Like you said, the corporate gigs, the executive gigs, because there are there is such you know I'm part of this organization called ACES Security. Yep. So uh, you know you start learning about the different aspects of personnel security, and it's not just uh, sitting by a door. There's a ton that goes into protecting a primary, and for people who the audience out there, a primary be like the one you're actually going to protect. So. So what was that like to, you know, your first time, you're like, wow, I'm out of the Air Force. I'm into the secretive agency. And now I'm protecting these very important people are, you know, sometimes some people are just important in their own minds. I'm sure you've come across those, but you're protecting people who are like the main decision makers. Yeah. You know what? I will say the transition was a little bit easier for guys that do come out of the military, guys and gals make this transition to an organization like the CIA because the, you know, the pride is still there. Uh, you're just wearing a different uniform, if you will. Uh, you feel honored to raise the flag every day for an organization like the, the CIA or any other organization that's uh, kind of protecting our, our country. Um, so making a transition from military to there really just was, was changing a uniform, uh, putting on a suit and, um, you know, kind of rocking and rolling. It wasn't a hard transition. I do, you know, I feel for the people and I try to mentor individuals that are making that transition from the military to private sector. Uh, sometimes you can a little bit, look a little more like a, you know, the, the bull in a China shop, if you will. But, um, you know, the agency was, it was a, it was a very interesting time. Uh, I was there pre 9-11, post 9-11. Definitely things changed after 9-11. Uh, six years is a long time to serve on the, on that particular detail. We saw, um, a couple of change in directors. Uh, we had to staff up on, after 9-11 to, to add a few more principles to our, our protected detail, if you will, or our coverage. Um, and uh, working for uh, George Tennant, Director Tennant, was a complete honor and a privilege. I mean, he was the second longest serving director under two administrations. And when you have somebody that's been there that long, you begin to click. Because it is a it is a teamwork. It is a dance. It's a dance between the principal and the protectors, and um, 
the awkwardness of the early days uh, kind of gets worked out, if you will, and you begin to, to run pretty smooth. You anticipate each other's thoughts and moves, and, and your principal can be part of that sometimes. Um, but no, great time. I uh, probably will be a time period I'll never match again in my life, and uh, I still have uh, a lot of fond memories and good friends. I've been back there twice, just in the last few months, actually, for some award ceremonies that I was able to attend, and um, they're still family, so very good. Yeah, you must build some personal relationships, especially when you're you're spending, you know, day in and day out with the same person. So what is that like if you don't meld? <laughs> it usually I know it's, I'm, I'm like, yeah, well, it's like, yeah, this guy's a beep, 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 beep. Or girl. Yeah, it usually doesn't work. And you've been around the guys, whether it's the border police or all these guys that were around before. You know, we have such a great uh a really tight camaraderie. When it works, it works. It really does. And even out in the field, if you go to high threat areas, the you know the bantering, the the joking, the uh, the pranks, the things that you do to relieve stress, if you will, uh, it's really what makes a team like that work. Uh, when there's somebody that can't quite figure that out, uh, kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve or just not into that. Usually, to be honest, Jason, they find another path eventually, uh, or they find another row that. They can still serve, uh, but to, to kind of be sharing elbow to elbow with the guys in a cat car or, you know, the other roles that we have sometimes, you're right. You've got to be able to get along. If you don't, it's a long tour, a long day. Um, but it, it usually works itself out. You either find another role or move to a new position that maybe you're better suited for. If nobody's busting your chops, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. <laughs> right. No, the sense of humor of these guys, uh, both men and women, can be pretty sick. Uh, and that's probably that's the fun of it, to be honest. Um, sometimes it gets kind of crude and crazy, but that's how that's how they uh, release stress and it's good for us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a different type of adrenaline release, you know, and that's the thing. If you're, if you're dealing with life and death and dealing with hours of monotony, then you, you need something to release that stress. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And with the agency, the fun part about it is you had guys, you know, I was from the Air Force. We had a lot of guys from the Army, a lot of contingents, a lot of guys from the Marines, uh, you know, because the, you know, the agency being the fact that they're located a lot of time in embassies, they do a lot of, uh, you know, close relationship with the Marines, the, uh, the the uh, Marine security guards, if you will. So a lot of times those guys will come out of the Marine Corps and kind of get into the agency. So we have a big Marine contingency. Uh, Army, Navy, uh, Tier 1 guys, uh, pilots, uh, athletes. It, it's really all types that serve in those capacities. So it's um, you know, everybody gets a chance to take a shot at everybody. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I, I kind of miss that camaraderie about working with small teams. So it's pretty cool, man. So uh, you wrote the book and how did that come about? You know, we have your background, we have your experience. Is it one of those things where it's like, Hey, you know what? I need to document this because we don't really have a historian. That's, you know, nobody knows our mission better than we do. So let me document it. It is kind of along that line, Jason, I'll be honest. It took me a few years to figure it out. You know, it did happen you know, at a point where you wake up after nearly 30 years and you go, wow, it's been an interesting ride. Um, had some interesting transitions, been a part of uh, uh, events that were historical to a degree, um, either witnessed them or, or was part of them. 
And through all of that, and just age in general, you, you gain different perspectives. And some of the perspectives I might have had when I first went to the military was definitely different than I had a few years ago. Uh, I've got a son now that kind of transitioned in various similar uh, components of the military and other things. And, you know, we've had those conversations throughout the years. So it's just a combination, Jason, of 30 years, 35 years, you, you, you feel you have something you, you would like to say. As a former military instructor, uh, which I did too for several years on the security forces side, part of that DNA is the motivation to, to train people, to motivate them, to inspire them, uh, to educate them. Um, and then probably a lot of that probably fell into the reasons why I wanted to write, write the book. Um, but I think if I had to kind of peel back the onion and keep looking further and further, because it is a difficult question sometimes, uh, the complexities that go into executive protection, even I didn't recognize as many of them until I started writing this down. And you start looking at the operational complexities and the human complexities, the, the lines, if you will, that we don't cross or we shouldn't cross. And, you know, I wanted to take the opportunity to get into that a little bit. Um, we're going to hand uh, the torch off to the new uh, you know, practitioners and, and young guys and gals is going to take our place. So, why not leave a little bit of a conversation piece um, for the best that I could anyway. So that's kind of where it all came in or how it came about. Um, and then I will say the one factor I think in writing this book is the past 10, 15, 20 years of, of speaking to principles, those that we protect. I noticed a trend that in a lot of our books or a lot of our manuscripts or our training, we leave out the principles. We don't talk about them very much. We don't include them in the conversation, uh, which now looking back, I have to scratch my head and go, why? They're the reasons we're here. We need them to be part of the plan. We need to be supportive. We need to know how they feel, especially if it's an ongoing big program with, with kids and a lot of moving parts. And our principals today are so dynamic. They're, they're traveling the world. They're explorers. They're entrepreneurs. They're into uh, high-risk events. And it takes a very dynamic, dedicated, uh, protected team to, to provide that level of protection for them and their family while creating this bubble that still allows them to operate and do what they want to do. So, you know, for the very reason it's taken me five minutes to get into this, it's a complicated topic. And, uh, you know, it was uh, once I got started writing, it wasn't hard to, uh, to fill up 400 plus pages. And now uh, you bring up an excellent point there, especially about the principle you have, to, you know, guarding that principle, you have to be almost in the same league as them as far as, you know, your physicality, your your mental preparedness. You know, you're working on their schedule, and some of these people, their schedules are down to the minute. Critical. You know, I can think of individuals I've had in the past that I love the fact that I could I could base my year uh, in advance, uh, uh, vacations, time off, travel because they were that particular. And then I've worked for individuals that, you know, I could be on my way home from the office that I just saw them and they would say, hey, by the way, are, are you going with us to Scotland tonight? And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even know that was on the calendar. Uh, I'll be returning back, uh, you know, to working at the CAA and driving home after a 16 hour shift to get a page and says, hey, go to Dulles. Uh, you need to go to X location. So it's really kind of all over the map, and you're right. It depends on the principle. It depends on the mission, who you're protecting. Celebrities can sometimes be the worst. Uh, it's just all over the map. So you're right. The, the individuals who are going to provide that protection have to be sort of in a similar league, 
Um, if you take guys out of the uh, corporate world, maybe the secret service type and kind of move them into a celebrity uh, type where you see a little bit more of the bodyguard mentality, which has its place there, they don't do well. They don't transition well for that. And there's a reason behind that. Um, could be the same reason you take somebody out of the, the heavy, uh, you know, high threat area, serious bodyguard work. And I mean, literally bodyguard taking a bullet and move them into a corporate role, um, especially tier one operators, give it two weeks or a month, they're going to be you know, pulling their hair out. So you're right. Uh, you have to fit to a degree the principle you're protecting. At least it does make it easier and uh, your life will be happier. And so will they. Well, that's the thing too, is like, you know, coming from a tier one or even from any kind of high adrenaline, you know, octane type position into doing like an executive protection type thing where you're, you know, you may have, you know, a little bit of adrenaline punch here and there, but it's not like a day in day out occurrence. I can imagine, you know, the transition to want to move on to something else. It's not the same. No. And I, and I don't blame them. I, I actually talk about in the book. I get into that and I didn't do it to, you know, to upset anybody on the tier one side. Uh, I've worked side by side these guys, but it's just understanding and how it happens. A lot of time principals will say, Hey, you know, can you, you know, can you pick up a four, four or five uh, former Navy SEALs and maybe a couple Delta guys? I think that's who I want. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't, but that's not what you want. Or, or tell me why. Um, and it's not because they're not capable. That's not the fact. It's the fact that, you know, the government has spent millions of dollars training these guys for a particular mission and their tempo, their mentality, their mindset is this different than working halls and walls or, or driving or follow a car in a routine situation or, you know, taking a spouse or a child to school or yoga class. It's just not appropriate for their training and their background, their mindset. So it's, it's not a dig on them. It's just you're misusing that resource. I wouldn't hire a mechanic and try to make him a chef. It's just not the same. Um, in the same token, uh, I know plenty of guys right now that are working on corporate details that did come from those environments, but they were ready to make the transition. They were kind of decompressed, come out of the areas for a while. Uh, family life becomes, you know, kind of... Um, full circle and they're ready for a different role in that case absolutely uh hire that because that's the best individual you can hire um but you know it's all about time and place mindset all those different you know factors play in a role and play together so how do you like it to uh, the retirement i wish that was jason <laughs> well uh, how do you like the uh <laughs> the, the transition to the, the second or third career now uh you know it's, believe it's, me, it's, we're all going on to that second career <laughs> yeah no it's it's interesting yeah i'll be honest it's um i've been blessed again i, I went from the military to the cia to the corporate uh to a high-end um consulting firm right where i was overseas for a couple of years back to a private family another private family and then into um, you know, sort of vendor services, providing services for clients, and then into a new role now. So I've had about seven or eight transitions. I, I enjoy it. Again, I get I get bored easy. Um, not retired by any means. My current role, um, like I said, I, I'm in a, I'm in between the day. I, I'm sort of reminiscing from uh, 31 years ago of of what I saw at Flutog and trying to you know get my head around some of that. And then this week and today, I'm dealing with the uh, pre-hurricane first post hurricane recovery efforts uh, for, uh, for Florida and company I work for, we have quite a few uh, 
big assets in the Bahamas. So I'm trying to get ready for a recovery for that. So, um, yeah, still motivated, still driven. Uh, it's just different, you know, to the point of your podcast. We, we are the protectors. That's our job. Uh, it's exhausting mentally, as you well know. Uh, we live in a world where we're always thinking about the worst case scenario. I actually just posted something on LinkedIn about that yesterday. We're, we live in a, uh, an environment where we're, all, we're always in that uh, worst case scenario zone, and that's a tough place to operate in. Um, something you can't do 24-7. You have to find a way to find that neutral zone, if you will. Uh, but no, I enjoy the transitions. It's fun. It's always something new to learn. I learn every day. Every day is something new. Now, I like that. And I like that people are coming, you know, you're telling that experience. Like, you know, like you said, you posted on LinkedIn, you're doing this, you're doing that. Because, you know, growing up, and I, I say this almost every podcast, because <laughs> I'm closer to 50 than I am 40. And, you know, back to the, uh, the 80s and 90s, you could not find information out there other than, no. you know, a sparse book here and there. And that's why I'm, I'm glad there are authors out there that are writing about their experience. And especially when it comes to like the details like you have of your career. Now there, there are so many stories. You're absolutely right, Jason. There's so many different approaches, perspectives. You know, I think the other interesting thing is our, the executive protection world has become more international. You know, you could easily form an international company, which many are um, because we all, we, we come from the same sort of uh, mindset backgrounds and we think alike and and so that sort of inspires different conversations different conversations create different opportunities to write books to share um you know there's several uh conferences now in executive protection as an example and, and uh you know bringing two or three or four hundred people together to talk about the same topic and then they leave and talk about it to their peers and associates and colleagues you're right it's a great opportunity i didn't have it either um you know, I'm, I'm closer to 60 than I am 50 like you, but I remember making a transition out of the military and thinking about executive protection and going, okay, what do I do? Um, I, you know, I went to, um, went to a, a transition, if you will, a class or a school uh, with Cobetz, uh, kind of the godfather of executive protection training who passed away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went to a class um, in New Orleans. I'll never forget it for about a week with him and some others. And it was an interesting um, eye-opening experience to what, what, what you do in the private sector, but you're right. At that time, a few schools, a few individuals, a few books, but not much, not like we have today. Now, and, you know, the lessons learned, just knowing that there's like a repository out there, like your books, um, everything else going out there in the security world is saving lives. You hope so. You know, it should, because there's definitely some key lessons learned, you know, lessons learned in our environment. And it's not just the close protection. It's, I think it's safety and security in general. Um, you know, mindset is another conversation I've been getting into here more recently, because um, I think it's something we, we don't know enough about. Uh, we don't know how to get in the right mindset and how to, how to transition or toggle from different mindsets. So, you know, I remember when you're, you're, you're sort of young, younger and running and gunning, your, your mindset you know, kind of falls into place to a degree because you're kind of more of a grunt, if you will. But when you get it more into the sort of management leadership roles, you begin to think a little more strategically and kind of break down how do I get into the right mindset and how do I help lead those under me in the right mindset. Um, so I do find the whole mindset conversation very interesting because it's physical, it's, it's, it's chemical, there's a lot that goes into it. 
And uh, I don't think we know enough about it. And I think it would help us a lot. Well, I really appreciate this, man. I, I like talking. I love talking to authors and I like the protection world. And I like, uh, I like hearing different stories. Now we were talking a little bit before we went on about uh, an association that you're very keen on supporting. You want to go a bit into that? Yeah, absolutely. It's the uh, it's the CIA's uh, foundation. Uh, it's easy to find that online as well. Uh, but it's a foundation under the CIA that that helps to uh, raise funds for fallen um, employees, uh, contractors, if you will, that's been working for the CIA. Uh, a lot of times, there's not enough money, if you will, to kind of continue to help the family, and the fund goes towards helping for college fund. And just supporting the, the remaining family members sometimes of those fallen. Um, so definitely is a, a CIA Officers Memorial Foundation. Uh, you can find that online. Uh, that was established uh, shortly after 9-11, after uh, Michael Smam uh, died um, after 9-11. And we realized, I think, at the agency that we needed we need a little bit more financial support for those families. Uh, so I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah, definitely. I'll put a link out to that as well for the audience. And uh, Mike, I really appreciate this. And where can we find your book? I, you know, I should have, you know, I should have put that out in the beginning. Now that's easy, Jason. If you go to theprotected.us, uh, that's the book website, and on the front page uh, is a link to buy, and that takes you to uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, all your typical locations. Um, we have a couple of book signing events coming up uh, next uh, week or so. I'll be with actually Tom Pacor, who I think you did a podcast with, and David Austin, another former colleague. Uh, we both have a book signing together in Scottsdale, Arizona this coming weekend, actually, at the uh, Barnes & Noble in Scottsdale and at the Poison Pen, which is, you know, before writing the book, I didn't know much about the sort of author world or book signing world, but the Poison Pen in Scottsdale seems to be a mecca. Um, this lady Barbara has uh, at the store for 30 years and from Tom Clancy to Jack Carr, you, Brad Thor, you name it, the authors come here to, uh, to do a book signing. It's a privilege. It's in my backyard. So Dave and uh, Tom will be in town this week and we'll get together and, uh, you know, have a toast and uh, tell some lies and sign some books. <laughs> well, have a toast for me. Um, and I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. Um, definitely going to link that out this week and I'll try to get the podcast up before that, but thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate this. Jason, my pleasure. And thank you, sir. Thank you for what you do as well. Again, um, your service is not to be overlooked as well to our, to our nation. Thank you as well. And, uh -huh. um, you know, thanks for allowing us to have this kind of uh, platform to share our stories. Uh, very grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir.